On the back cover is our sermon outline too, or back inside back flap of the bulletin. You can follow along with some of the thoughts and maybe make yourself some notes this morning. But I don't know what you know uh, about auto sales, but the number one selling vehicle for the last 45 years in America, could you guess what it is? It's not an SUV, right? Many of you came in your SUV. It's not a minivan. It's not a sedan, but these folks got it right away. It's a Ford F-150 pickup truck, right? Over a million uh, a year are sold, and Americans just love them. It's, uh, according to Car and Driver, the F-150 is popular because it has an all-aluminum body and available 10-speed tra automatic transmission with a turbocharged engine, right? That's a man vehicle, right? And the website says it's the symbol of American tenacity, grit, and honest living. I didn't know a car could do that, but it does. Uh, it combines ruggedness with innovation. And speaking of innovation, they're changing the F-150. It's going electric. Did you know that? It's going to be the F-150 Lightning. And given the sales re record of that kind of vehicle, you would kind of wonder, why would anybody mess with success if that vehicle is that popular? Why would you even want to change something like that? And in fact, we might know the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Don't mess with something that, we, that was working good. And the Ford executives knew that they would need to win over a few skeptics in America. And so this is what uh, Linda Zhang said. She's the chief engineer of the new electric truck. We wanted to make sure that we built a truck that would be accepted by truck owners today. So what do you think? Is that a good idea or not a good idea? Now, it was kind of interesting when I drove in the parking lot this morning. There were two Chevy Silverados in the front row of the parking lot, and I thought, oh boy, they're going to be mad at me. Because I know when you get to uh, truck brands, there's a lot of loyalty built in for a few people. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? We have that idea, and that's what Nicodemus was thinking about when he talked with Jesus. That's what a lot of people were saying in the, in the first century. We got a religious system. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And when Jesus came into the scene, this uh, conversation with Pharisees was a combination of fascination but also of consternation because a lot of what Jesus said they agreed with. Most of what Jesus said would be in agreement with the Pharisees. But there was a lot of stuff he also said that just turned the system upside down. And they would say, Jesus, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And Jesus would say, well, to be honest with you, it's broken. It isn't, it isn't successful. They believe that by everybody trying a little harder and following God's law a little bit better, the kingdom of God would be ushered in and the nation of Israel would become great and powerful. That was their hope. That was their dream. And so they made sure that they themselves and other people that they came into contact with really followed the rules and they were good at it. They were well respected. They were admired. They were recognized as people, you're doing a pretty good job. But they were confounded when Jesus said, 
you're not perfect. You're not 100% perfect. You obey a lot, but you don't get it all right. In fact, if we peel back the onion, we're gonna see that in your core, there's just as much sin, brokenness, lust, greed, everything else that's dark in your heart as somebody who doesn't even care about God. And the system is not fixed. And the system is broken. And that's what made Jesus so hated by the Pharisees, but also so, so fascinated by them. Jesus pointed out their own superficiality and, under, and, and inability to truly fulfill the requirements of the law and their need for God. And instead of saying, try harder, Jesus said, you need to be born again, or you need to be born from above. And I think that's a better translation. What you need is a change of heart. What you and I need is a different heart and a different love and a different fear and a different trust than what you yourself do. You need a heart with God that's right with God. And in this, we see on this second Sunday of Lent, we see the royalty of Jesus. We see King Jesus doing what we cannot possibly do. He will be the one who fully obeys all the commandments that we could never possibly do. And we see that we don't, I don't, and you don't. We try, we probably do a lot of good things, but we can't do enough to be perfect. And that's why Jesus says, John three sixteen, which we're gonna come to a little bit later. But in John chapter three, let's unpack some of this stuff. And just as uh, a Ford F-150 has power, right, faith, in Jesus Christ has power. It first of all has power to make us right with God. Now, that may seem like something most Americans don't really care about, but we really do. People are religious, and Nicodemus was a religious man. Everybody wants to connect with something bigger, something more uh, bigger than themselves and more powerful than themselves. Some people understand it through uh, religious Churches or even other religions are trying to uh, connect with the bigger. But as one writer said, that's really what's going on in sports. And observing about March Madness, which is right around the corner, he says there's a lot of worship connected with sports. Games are filled with cheers, music, uniform, rules, excitement, and traditions. People stand up and sit down just at the right time. They're told on a screen to get louder, and they do, right? They uh, do little gyrations when one team is shooting a free throw, but their own team, they're nice and quiet, right? Or supposedly. There's a lot of rules and regulations that as groups uh, think, which is a lot of fun. But it's all to say, I'm part of this team. This is my uh, gang, right? This is my, I'm part of this bigger picture than just one person. I'm part of this whole, this whole. And there's some things actually we can learn from that, but it's a new birth that brings us into a right relationship with God. That's what Jesus said. It's a new change of heart. And so Nicodemus comes by night. He's a Pharisee. 
a ruler of the nation. He's a, a member of the Sanhedrin, which is kind of the senate of the nation at the time. And he can't really be afford, can't, can't afford to be seen with Jesus during the daytime, but he has this question, and he's seeking some answers. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, and they were very well regarded, and they ruled the moral and spiritual life and the political life of, of uh, the nation of Israel. They were a group of 70. And what I want you to see this morning is uh, just how this fits in. And the chapter verses, we've talked about this, the chapter divisions of the Bible don't always help us. We start at chapter 3, verse 1, but originally there was no chapter 3. It was all one continuous story. And listen to the little bit of the paragraph preceding chapter 3, verse 1, and you'll see why Jesus is talking to this man. We read, but Jesus on his part, this is the end of what we call chapter two, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in a man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He knew what was in Nicodemus's heart and he knew what's in your heart. And he knew what's in everybody's heart. There's an ache that realizes things aren't perfect. Things are kind of frustrated. Things are a little off kilter. Now we run into Nicodemus a couple of times in the Bible and he's an interesting figure. We read about him here as a curious in a person asking a question. In John chapter seven, we read about him standing up as people are ready to condemn Jesus. He says, wait a second. Doesn't he deserve a fair trial before we condemn him? So he stands up to public opinion. And then at the very end, when Jesus is crucified with another a Pharisee and member of the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus buys 75 pounds of myrrh to anoint Jesus' body. Now before that, just kind of glosses over your head. That's a boatload. That's a super expensive, over-the-top gift. And Nicodemus is very intrigued and very honored to know Jesus. But he was confounded here because Nicodemus even though he had all the forms and the functions and the honor of the land of the people of Israel, he had a sense that something wasn't right and all the religious observation that he uh, did was not enough and he's searching and struggling, just like you and I search and struggle too. His heart was aching and he longed for a change. But he settled for a superficial change, an outside change, just okay, let's all behave. And while that's a good idea, it doesn't affect change. What do we ache about? We ache from our disease of sin that's affected our lives, and we know it. And we know that things are off kilter, and it's affected our parents, and it scars and mars our life and our children's lives. We ache from that. People ache from their separation from God. They're aware that there's a wedge that is between, there's holy, and then there's the way we operate, and there's a gulf between the two. 
And we settle for, well, maybe if we do good things, God will just say, hey, he, he gave, he'd give the shirt off his back. Certainly, he's a good person. Maybe, hopefully. But is that enough? People ache from the meaning, meaninglessness of life, that their life is a fleeting thing, and then it's gone. And it's 16 tons, and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. And what's the point of existence? And we ache from that meaninglessness. We ache from death. And we see our loved ones die. And if you're a young person, eventually you start seeing people you went to school with and people you know die. And you know it's just right around the corner. And someday it'll be you. And then what? And we don't dwell on it, and we shouldn't, but we know that there's an ache in that. We ache from lives that are built in cracked foundation and sinking sand, and we see lives that, that crumble because of that. And we ache for, and we, we begin to call in our hearts, I need something more. And in the raw moments of self-awareness or quietness with our own heart, we have to say something has to change. Something needs to change. But we'll settle for the superficial. Let's follow a pattern. Let's follow a, a new behavior. And that's what the whole religious system of Nicodemus's day was built on. That if we all do it a little bit better, then things will all straighten out. And Jesus says, yes, we all need a change, but we need a change of heart. You do, and I do. That's that birth from above. The water and the spirit, you need the action of God in your life. You need God in your life. You need the work of Jesus Christ in your life. Every single person does. And you may think, well, I'm exempt. You're not. That's the universal that... Jesus says is, is for every single person. And if this is, is uh, knocking on your heart today, open it up and let Jesus Christ in. Because this is the change of heart that God brings into a person, not to make them perfect, but to make them righteous and right with God. It's a, a baptism of the water and the spirit. In John 1, just a chapter before this, John records at the birth of Jesus to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Born, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's the regeneration that God, Jesus is talking about. And that's what regeneration means. It's a new birth. It's a, it's a change of being. It's a change of our view of God and our relationship in, in life with him. And when you counter Jesus Christ, you're well aware that outward observance isn't the magic bullet. It's the result of a life that's right with God. You see, religion tries to reform people. Jesus comes to transform. And he's been at work in your life. You've been baptized into Jesus Christ. 
And today he calls you to drill down on that and to believe that. You've been born again by the water and the spirit. And that regeneration is based on what God has done for you. You see, this, would, this was a debate going on and in that epistle reading from Romans 4, Paul just pokes a hole in that whole thinking and he said, people, this has never been the way. Rule keeping, righteous living is not the way God puts people right with himself. Let's go back to Abraham. Abraham didn't even have the Ten Commandments. How could he live obeying the Ten Commandments? He didn't even know them yet. And he says, Abraham was right with God by faith. He believed what God promised him. He believed what God told him. And it was counted to him as righteousness. That's what Romans chapter four says. And that is the power of faith in God. It makes you right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And you're on the right path. This is the F-150 of God, right? The power and the innovation of what faith can do in leading you to, to live with rigor and with power and with innovation. You've been reborn with the living word and the creating word of God working in your baptism today. And today is a good reminder of what that fact is. And that birth from above it powers some heavy lifting. It helps you do some things that you really need to do. One is repentance, that you and I need to face some facts about ourselves. That beyond the veneer of looking good and keeping a positive outward appearance, which is all great, inwardly, there's a mess. There's garbage inside. And every once in a while, the garbage spills out. But the problem is the garbage on the inside of our heart. It doesn't mean we're bad people. It just means sometimes we deceive ourselves. We think we're so good. And Jesus would say, no, you're broken as well. Your, your, your heart is far from God. And he does what we can't possibly do. He died on the cross for us. He paid that penalty. He lived that perfect life. He paid the perfect death for us that we sang about. And we're kind of often like the elephant hiding behind the tree. I found this on a nature magazine, right? Well, you wonder what's behind the tree, right? Yeah, wow. Wonder what's going on in here called sinful human nature. And it's part of your life. And God says, you don't have to hide it. You don't have to glorify in it. You don't have to excuse it. Just admit it. This is the contrite heart that, seek God, that seeks God's help. In our Bible class, we're studying the story of Samuel and his mentor priest, Eli. Eli had sons who the Bible calls worthless. They stole sacrifices from people and they kept the, the food sacrifices for themselves. They slept with the women who wanted to serve. They're all about themselves. 
And finally, God confronts Eli for not dealing with his sons, and he says, why do you honor your sons more than you honor me? Why do you honor culture more than you honor me? Why do you honor yourself more than you honor me? That's the question the word begs us to ask about ourselves. Not to demoralize us or not to put us down, but to set us free from ourselves. John, again, the writer of this gospel, would write in 1 John a letter, no one born of God makes a practice of of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. It's the contrite heart. And Jesus calls us in this season of Lent specifically to admit our need for God because he's ready to help. Because he is our help and he is our hope. And he says there's a mystery to that. It's not something you can engineer. And that was a hard part for Nicodemus and some for, some for us it's a hard part too because we want all the answers filled out. We wanna know if I make this decision, this is gonna be the exact certain result that'll happen. And God says, no, it doesn't work that way. It's more like the wind. It blows. And the word for wind and spirit is the same. And so this is kinda, you can substitute the word. But the spirit blows where it wants. You can hear it. You can see its effect. But you can't really see it operating but when it does it transforms it shapes it makes things happen and God's spirit blows around in your heart so that you do the things God wants you to do he's not really asking you to do things you don't know already he's simply saying Do the things I've already told you to do that you know you should do. Right? Take this word of God that you already know. Now you can grow in that and you should grow in it. But let it guide your decision right now. You know what it means to honor God. And you think, I gotta make money, don't I? Yeah, you gotta make money. But you don't have to dishonor God in the process. You think, oh, I gotta fit in and make people like me. Good, I'm glad people like you. But don't dishonor God in the process. Well, I gotta be happy. I'm glad you're happy. But Christ can bring blessing. And this is the spirit working that God just tells you to listen in. And pay attention to this. And then he says, because of Christ... Well, and then Paul would write in Galatians 5, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's go in that mystery. Let's walk. Let's ride that wave where we don't exactly know how it's all going to turn out. But we trust in God to make it work out for the good. And he, then he says, we can follow Jesus. We got the power to follow Jesus. Through faith in him, we have the power that as he was lifted up, he'll lift us up. In verses 13 through 15, uh, Jesus tells a story that Nicodemus would be very familiar with, a time when the children of Israel were in the wandering in the desert and they they ran into a snake pit, 
right? And the snakes were biting them. And God, they cried out to God, help us. And God said, okay, I'll help you. Moses, make a snake, put it on a pole, and tell everybody if you look at the snake, you'll, you'll be okay. And some people said, all right, I believe that. I'll do it. And other people say, well, that's stupid. I'm not gonna do it. Guess what? Some died, some lived. Some lived by faith, some didn't. And Jesus said, just as that snake was lifted up, I'll be lifted up. I'll be the sacrifice for you. And then he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I want you to leave you with that word so. Most of the time we think that's to show how big God's love is. That's really not what it's talking about. God's love is big. But this is the way that God loves you. For God so loved the world as he entered the camp of the children of Israel in their pain, Christ enters your world. He barges in. He brings himself to you. He gives himself to you and he comes into your life as God incarnate, this Jesus of Nazareth, as your king of, the, of your life. So that you, and he's lifted up on the cross so that we're forgiven and set free. I don't know what kind of truck you want, right? You might want to, some of you are Ram, some of you are Silverado kind of folks. That's not what we're talking about today. Today, Jesus says, have faith. Trust his promises to you and believe what Jesus Christ has done and will do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, amen. Father, we do pray and thank you for coming into our lives and walking with us wherever we go. Give us faith that believes it. That's of you. And we pray more of you and less of us. Through Christ our Lord, amen.